you are now tuned into Civil War Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, here to guide you through the fields and towns of mid-19th century America as we delve into the epic conflict that shaped the very soul of this great nation, the Civil War. Together, we'll explore riveting stories from an era of transformation and sacrifice, hearing tales of valiant charges, whispered plots, and the profound human experiences behind the blue and the gray. And if your historical appetite is still hungry for more tales of valor and conflict, be sure to check out our companion podcast, World War II Stories, where we unravel the global conflict that raged nearly a century later. You can find the link in the description or make your way to podhour.com ww2. So, ready your ears and steady your hearts as we traverse through the pages of time, delving into a chapter of history where a nation fought for its very identity. In the sultry summer of 1861, America stood on the precipice of a great divide. Brother against brother, state against state, the Union trembled under the strain of its own contradictions. The specter of secession was more than just a political decision. It was an upheaval, a disruption that would sever families and friendships, forcing the nation into a devastating conflict that would stain its fields and rivers with the blood of its own. But amid this tumultuous backdrop, an extraordinary story of innovation, determination, and courage was taking shape, promising to revolutionize naval warfare forever. This narrative is that of the Battle of Hampton Roads, a remarkable clash of titans that marked the advent of ironclad warships, forever changing the nature of naval combat. This historical chronicle will transport you back to the age of iron and steam, where the industrial prowess of the Union locked horns with the fervent resolve of the Confederacy. From the secession of Virginia and the strategic importance of Fort Monroe to the birth of the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia, we delve into the intricate factors that culminated in the historic encounter at Hampton Roads. It is a tale of underdogs and pioneers, of destructive innovation, and the blurring line between victory and defeat. Join us as we journey through the chapters of this engrossing saga, where the sparks of war ignite a cauldron of ingenuity and desperation, where the storm of conflict brews over the horizon, and where fire and iron clash in an epic dance of power and resilience. Traverse the immediate aftermath and the profound long-term impact of this critical encounter, finally delving into its legacy and the enduring marks it has left on the tapestry of human history. Prepare to set sail into the tumultuous waters of Hampton Roads, where the echo of cannon fire still reverberates, the indomitable spirits of the Monitor and the Virginia endure, and the revolution of naval warfare remains forever etched in the annals of time. This is the saga of the Battle of Hampton Roads, an extraordinary chapter of a nation at war with itself. Welcome aboard. Chapter 1 The Sparks of War. As 1861 dawned, the rumblings of secession reverberated across the American landscape. The Commonwealth of Virginia found herself at the epicenter of this seismic shift. She was a state divided, her heart steeped in the traditions of the South yet her mind attuned to the industrial rhythms of the North. At the helm of this divided entity stood Governor John Letcher, a staunch Unionist who was gradually bending to the winds of secession. He was a man caught between the fires of revolution and the shackles of Union, 
burdened with a decision that would shape the destiny of his beloved state. In the bustling towns and quiet homesteads of Virginia, life had acquired an ominous undertone. Farmers plowed their fields with one eye on the horizon, townsfolk whispered in hushed voices, their everyday joys and woes shadowed by the specter of impending conflict. The industrious city of Richmond, teeming with factories and warehouses, was buzzing with the hum of anticipation. The workers and craftsmen, ignorant of the colossal changes their toil would soon fuel, carried on with their tasks, shaping iron and wood with expert hands. While the political elites debated and citizens held their breath, Virginia's military prepared for the unthinkable. Within the austere walls of the Virginia Military Institute, Superintendent Francis Smith oversaw the training of the next generation of military leaders, among them a young, fiercely intelligent cadet named Thomas Stonewall Jackson. His stern gaze bore a reflection of the times, fraught with tension yet glimmering with unyielding determination. As Virginia grappled with her fate, her leaders contemplated an unthinkable sacrifice, the surrender of the powerful Gosport Navy Yard. Situated on the Elizabeth River, this shipyard was a jewel in the crown of the American Navy, a testament to the nation's growing maritime prowess. Yet, in the game of secession, it was a pawn whose destiny was as yet undecided. In the smoky halls of government and quiet homes, in the bustling shipyards and tranquil military institutes, the seeds of conflict were taking root. Virginia stood in the shadow of secession, her destiny and that of the nation intertwined, on the brink of a war that would reshape history. Yet within this brewing storm, the stage was being set for a maritime revolution. The waves at Hampton Roads, oblivious to the approaching tempest, lapped gently at the shore, a deceptive calm before the clash of ironclads that was to come. Tucked away on the southeastern tip of Virginia, where the mouth of the James River met the vast expanse of Chesapeake Bay, stood Fort Monroe a silent, stoic guardian over the strategic Hampton Roads waterways. Its granite walls, robust and resolute, bore a silent testimony to its enduring role as the defender of the Union in a state inching towards secession. A key piece in the complex chess game of the Civil War, Fort Monroe was under the command of a stern veteran, Colonel Justin Dimmock. Despite his age, Dimmock's eyes still held the sharp gaze of a seasoned soldier, a glint that became more pronounced as the threat of secession cast long shadows over his command. The air around Fort Monroe was thick with anticipation. Soldiers drilled, their boots drumming a relentless rhythm against the cobbled courtyards, their hearts echoing the same steady beat. A symphony of determination, underscored by the steady roar of the Atlantic's waves crashing against the fort's granite foundations. In the shadowy corners of the fort, secretive meetings unfolded. There, Major General Benjamin Butler, a shrewd lawyer turned military officer from Massachusetts, began carving out a role that would alter the course of the conflict and the future of countless enslaved people seeking refuge behind the fort's sturdy walls. Day after day, as the sun set, the torches around Fort Monroe flickered to life, casting long, dancing shadows against the stone. Soldiers swapped stories and murmured prayers their voices a haunting lullaby echoing through the starry night. Amid this cacophony of anticipation and apprehension, the fort held its ground, an island of Union loyalty in a sea of Confederate unrest.
despite the encroaching uncertainty, life within Fort Monroe trudged on. Blacksmiths worked tirelessly, sparks flying from heated metal like miniature stars, their hammers weaving a symphony of resilience. Cooks busied themselves preparing meals, their savory aromas wafting through the fort, momentarily replacing the taste of tension in the air with comforting familiarities. Fort Monroe, the lonely sentinel, stood steadfast, gazing out onto the uncertain waters of Hampton Roads. With the specter of war looming large, this fortress, its loyal soldiers, and its unyielding commander readied themselves for the tide of conflict that would soon wash upon their shores, bearing with it a clash of iron behemoths that would echo through the annals of history. In the throes of an impending war, a new era was dawning. An era that promised a revolution in naval warfare, as iron began to edge out wood, and the era of ironclads took root. Rising like metal leviathans from the hearts of shipyards north and south, these formidable vessels would redefine the meaning of naval power. In the industrial sprawl of Brooklyn, New York, the eccentric Swedish engineer John Ericsson was diligently sketching the future. His vision was audacious an iron vessel unlike any other. Its rotating turret and low profile would challenge the traditional naval designs, while its iron-plated hull would offer protection no wooden ship could match. The name chosen for this innovative beast was as unique as its design, the USS Monitor. Despite initial skepticism, Erickson's persistence paid off. With the blessing of President Lincoln himself, the keel of the Monitor was laid, and the clamor of hammers and hiss of steam filled the continental iron works. Each strike of the hammer, every curve of iron, every bolt and rivet, brought the USS Monitor closer to life. Meanwhile, far to the south in the Norfolk Harbor, another behemoth was taking form. Rising from the remnants of the scuttled USS Merrimack, the Confederate Navy was engineering their own answer to the Union's naval might. This vessel, rechristened the CSS Virginia, boasted a sloping iron shell and an intimidating iron beak, designed to ram and puncture the hulls of wooden adversaries. Supervised by the committed naval officer, French Forrest, and engineered by the industrious John Brooke, the Virginia was more than a ship, it was a symbol of Confederate defiance and ingenuity. As its formidable silhouette took shape, the Virginia seemed to embody the very spirit of the Confederacy born of ruin, reforged in iron, and ready to challenge the might of the Union. In shipyards separated by hundreds of miles yet united by a shared goal, the future of naval warfare was being hammered out, plate by plate, bolt by bolt. The ironclads, Monitor and Virginia, were on the rise. As the tension of war tightened, the stage was set for an unprecedented clash. A battle where iron would meet iron and the sea would bear witness to a new era of naval warfare. The waters of Hampton Roads were about to become the proving ground for these titans of iron. Little did the world know how profoundly this clash would echo through the pages of history. Chapter 2 Storm Over the Horizon When the specter of war had first risen, the Union Navy, in a hasty retreat from the Gosport Navy Yard, had made a desperate decision. They'd sunk their steam frigate, the Merrimack, in a bid to keep her from Confederate clutches. Little did they know, their gambit would backfire spectacularly, giving birth to a metal leviathan that would strike fear into the hearts of their own men. 
In the wake of the Union retreat, the Confederate Navy discovered the half-submerged wreck of the Merrimack. It was naval officer French Forrest who recognized potential amid the wreckage. His eyes saw beyond the shattered timbers and flooded compartments to envision a vessel that could break the Union blockade, a vessel forged in iron. The task of resurrecting the Merrimack fell on the broad shoulders of John Mercer Brook, a naval officer turned naval constructor. Known for his intellect and tenacity, Brook proved to be the ideal architect for this daunting endeavor. With his creative spirit and the labor of countless men, the Merrimack began its transformation into the CSS Virginia. The process was fraught with difficulties. The South's resources were stretched thin by the war, and obtaining the necessary iron was a feat in itself. Yet, spurred on by the desperate need to break the Union's chokehold, the work went on. Day by day, under the watchful eyes of Brook and Forrest, the battered remains of the Merrimack were steadily dismantled, reshaped, and fortified. Piece by piece, the CSS Virginia took form. A robust iron hull replaced her shattered wooden skin. Her sides were sloped, designed to deflect cannonballs, while an intimidating iron ram took pride of place at her bow. Workshops hummed with activity from dawn to dusk, the glow of the forges illuminating the Virginia as she underwent her metamorphosis. Amid the smoke and sparks, the atmosphere was electric. Workers toiled tirelessly, their faces streaked with soot, their hands blistered yet unyielding. As the Virginia grew in stature, so too did their hope. Each clang of metal was a clarion call, a promise of defiance against the Union's naval might. By the time the transformation was complete, the Virginia was no longer recognizable as the Merrimack. Her metamorphosis was a testament to the resilience and resourcefulness of the Confederate South. As the mighty ironclad floated on the gentle waves of the Elizabeth River, the tide of war seemed, for a moment, to hold its breath. In the Virginia, the Confederacy had found its champion, one that was ready to take on the Union's best in the impending clash at Hampton Roads. Far north, in the throbbing heart of Brooklyn, New York, a different drama was playing out. While the Confederates worked on resurrecting the Merrimack, a new beast was being forged in the fires of the Continental Iron Works. The visionary behind this project was a man with a reputation for brilliance and eccentricity in equal measure, John Erickson. Swedish by birth, Erickson was a whirlwind of creativity, forever brimming with novel ideas. His latest brainchild was the USS Monitor, a vessel so revolutionary that it bore little resemblance to traditional warships. With its low profile and novel rotating turret, the Monitor was Ericsson's ambitious attempt to redefine naval warfare. The process of bringing Ericsson's ambitious design to life was filled with challenges. The unusual design, the iron plating, the rotating turret, all these were elements that had never been tried on such a scale. Yet, where others saw hurdles, Ericsson saw possibilities. The shipyard echoed with the ceaseless drumming of hammers and the hissing of steam engines. Metal groaned under the force of blows, sparks leaping into the air like tiny fireworks. The shipbuilders, driven by Ericsson's relentless energy and the urgency of war, worked tirelessly. Under their skilled hands, the skeletal frame of the monitor took shape. Even as they toiled, Doubts hovered in the air.
skeptics questioned Ericsson's unconventional design, murmuring that the monitor would be more coffin than warship. Yet, their doubts were drowned out by the symphony of construction that rang through the shipyard day and night. In time, skepticism gave way to awe. As the ironclad took shape, it was clear that the USS Monitor was something extraordinary. When the vessel was finally launched, it looked less like a ship and more like a strange waterborne fortress, a compact mass of iron and steam. As the Monitor floated free in the East River, a sense of anticipation gripped all those present. In the birth of the Monitor, they had witnessed the beginning of a new era in naval warfare. The USS Monitor was not just a ship, it was a symbol of the North's industrial prowess and innovative spirit. Under the stewardship of Captain John Wardens, it was ready to test its mettle against the Confederates' Virginia. As the Monitor set off towards Hampton Roads, its crew could scarcely have imagined the monumental clash that awaited them. The birth of the ironclads did not just signal a sea change in naval technology, it sent ripples through society, stirring the waters of anticipation and apprehension alike. As the CSS Virginia and the USS Monitor came to life, they cast long shadows that stretched far beyond their respective shipyards, altering the course of the Civil War and reshaping the landscape of maritime warfare. News of the Virginia's transformation spread through the Confederacy like wildfire. For a populace beleaguered by the Union's naval blockade, the Virginia offered a glimmer of hope. The formidable ironclad, with her iron armor and powerful ram, seemed like a tangible manifestation of their resolve to resist Northern aggression. She was their David against the Union's Goliath. Within the Union, the birth of the Monitor brought a mix of reactions. There was awe at Erickson's audacious design, but also skepticism. Could this low-lying, oddly-shaped vessel truly stand against the Confederacy's Virginia? Was Erickson a genius or a madman? These questions hung in the air as the Monitor made her way towards Hampton Roads. Politically, the rise of the ironclads added a new layer of complexity to the already intricate Civil War chessboard. For President Abraham Lincoln and his cabinet, the Monitor was not just a weapon, but a symbol of Northern industrial prowess. Meanwhile, the Confederate government saw in the Virginia a chance to break the stifling Union blockade and alter the course of the war. Yet, the ironclad's ripples reached even further. Across the Atlantic, the world's naval powers were watching with bated breath. The performance of the Virginia and the Monitor could dictate the future of naval warfare. The age of wooden warships hung in the balance, teetering on the edge of obsolescence. As the stage was set for the impending clash, the ripples stirred by the rise of the ironclads converged at Hampton Roads. The ironclads, their crews, their creators, their nations, and the watching world held their collective breath. The battle at Hampton Roads was not merely a battle, it was a pivotal moment in history. Its echoes would resonate far beyond the confines of the Civil War, reshaping the landscape of naval warfare for generations to come. Chapter 3 The First Day Fire and Iron. The day was March 8, 1862. As dawn broke over Hampton Roads, an air of expectancy hung heavy. On board the CSS Virginia, the crew bustled with a quiet urgency. Their target, 
the Union's wooden blockade ships that loomed in the distance. At the helm stood the Virginia's captain, Franklin Buchanan. A seasoned naval officer, Buchanan was no stranger to the pressures of command. But this mission was unlike any other. As he looked over his ironclad ship, he was aware that they were about to usher in a new era of naval warfare. The first engagement was swift and brutal. The Virginia's guns roared, spewing smoke and flame as they tore into the Union frigate, the USS Cumberland. Cannonballs that would have shattered a wooden hull merely bounced off the Virginia's iron sights. The Union sailors looked on in horror as their shots proved ineffective against the metal monster bearing down upon them. Undeterred by the Cumberland's return fire, Buchanan ordered his ship to ram the Union frigate. With a shuddering crash, the Virginia's iron beak punctured the Cumberland's hull. Water rushed into the gaping hole, and the Union ship began to sink, her colors still flying. The power of the Virginia was on full display. The Union's wooden ships could barely scratch her iron hide, while her guns and ram turned them into splintered wrecks. The CSS Virginia was a force to be reckoned with, her might reshaping the very dynamics of naval warfare. As the Virginia turned her attention to the USS Congress and set her aflame, a sense of dread spread through the Union ranks. Their blockade, the stranglehold they had hoped to maintain over the Confederacy, was crumbling before this Confederate Goliath. Even as the sun set and the flames from the burning Congress lit up the sky, the Virginia's crew knew their work was not done. They had shown their power, but a new challenge awaited them. Word had arrived of an unusual Union vessel approaching. The stage was set for the confrontation that would decide the fate of naval warfare a clash between ironclads. The Virginia's true test was yet to come. The battle at Hampton Roads had started with the thunder of cannon fire and the chilling cries of men locked in combat. But as the Virginia's guns fell silent and darkness draped over the waters, the scene at Hampton Roads was one of eerie calm. The burning hulls of the Cumberland and Congress cut through the darkness, their flames casting a hellish glow on the water's surface. On board the remaining Union ships, panic reigned. The sheer power of the Virginia had sent shockwaves through the Union ranks. Among the remaining ships, the USS Minnesota had run aground in the chaos, her hull stuck fast in the shallow water. In the eerie light of the burning Congress, her crew could only watch as their comrades perished and wonder when their turn would come. Meanwhile, in the Confederate camp, spirits were high. Their ironclad had exceeded expectations, her armor withstanding the Union's fire and her guns wreaking havoc on the wooden ships. The success of the day fueled their anticipation for the morrow. Little did they know, the tide of battle was about to turn. Through the night, a new player approached the chaotic scene at Hampton Roads. The USS Monitor, with Captain John Wardens at the helm, silently slipped through the darkness. This newcomer was unlike any ship the sailors at Hampton Roads had ever seen. Low to the water, with a single revolving turret, she was a strange sight indeed. Yet, beneath her unassuming exterior lay the hopes of the Union Navy. As dawn broke on March 9th, the Virginia emerged from the fog, ready to continue her destruction. The Confederates expected another day of easy victories, but instead, 
they found themselves facing an iron nemesis. As the monitor maneuvered into position, the air was electric with anticipation. The clash of the ironclads was about to begin, forever changing the course of naval warfare. As the dawn broke on the morning of March 9, 1862, an unusual silhouette cut through the misty waters of Hampton Roads. The USS Monitor, an oddity amidst the traditional naval vessels, had arrived to confront the imposing Confederate ironclad, the CSS Virginia. As the Monitor's low, iron-hulled form became visible, both Confederate and Union sailors gazed in curiosity and apprehension. At the helm of the Monitor was Captain John Wardens, a man of steadfast determination. His mission was clear to protect the Union fleet and stop the Virginia. Wardens, well aware of the Virginia's destructive capabilities, knew the challenge that lay ahead. The future of naval warfare rested on his and his ship's armored shoulders. Aboard the Virginia, the Monitor's arrival was met with mixed reactions. Some saw the low-lying vessel as little threat, even dubbing it a cheese box on a raft. Yet, others, including the Virginia's captain, Franklin Buchanan, understood that this strange-looking vessel represented a new breed of warship. As the Monitor moved into position, her revolving turret came to life. The two powerful Dahlgren guns inside swiveled, aiming directly at the Virginia. On deck, the Monitor's crew readied for action. Each man knew the gravity of the task at hand, not only were they fighting for their lives and the Union cause, but they were also the forerunners of a new age in naval warfare. As the Virginia bore down upon the Minnesota, the Monitor interposed herself between the Confederate ironclad and the Union ship. The air was thick with tension as the two ironclads squared off, their crews bracing for the clash of iron against iron. The quiet of the morning was soon shattered by the roar of cannon fire, signaling the start of a naval duel like no other. As the Monitor and the Virginia traded volleys, those looking on knew that they were witnessing history in the making. No matter the outcome, the encounter at Hampton Roads had already proven one thing, the age of the ironclads had arrived. Chapter 4, The Second Day, Clash of the Ironclads The sun was climbing in the sky as the first shots rang out over Hampton Roads. The duel between the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia, two metal titans of the sea, had begun. From their perches on nearby ships and the shores, soldiers and civilians watched, captivated by the spectacle unfolding before them. Captain John Wardens, from his vantage in the Monitor's pilot house, watched as the Virginia moved into position. His command, fire, cut through the tension on deck. The Monitor's guns roared in response, sending two heavy shots towards the Virginia. The shells struck the Confederate ship with a thunderous crash, sparks flying from the impact, but the Virginia remained undeterred. On the Virginia, Captain Buchanan watched as the Monitor's cannonballs ricocheted off his ship's iron plating. His return salvo was swift. The Virginia's larger guns belched fire and smoke, the ground shaking as her shells hurled towards the Monitor. But the Union vessel's armor held strong. This was not going to be a quick fight, it was a war of attrition that tested the metal of the ironclads and their crews. For hours, the two ships circled each other, the water around them churning under their relentless movement.
The sound of iron striking iron echoed over the water, a relentless, metallic symphony that spoke of a new era of warfare. On both ships, the crews worked tirelessly. Gunners loaded and fired their weapons, the air thick with smoke and the deafening echo of cannon fire. Through the chaos, both Buchanan and Wardens stood unwavering, their orders clear and decisive amid the tumult. As the afternoon wore on, neither ironclad had gained a decisive advantage. They were two giants locked in a stalemate, their metal hides scarred but unbeaten. Their duel, a fierce dance of fire and iron, would go down in history as a testament to human ingenuity in the changing face of war. The outcome of their clash would echo far beyond the waters of Hampton Roads. The skies began to darken over Hampton Roads, with the day waning into dusk. Yet, the duel between the Monitor and the Virginia showed no sign of conclusion. Hours of cannon fire, the deafening echo of metal on metal, and the sheer exhaustion of their crews had not yielded a victor. Despite the fatigue, Captain John Wardens on the Monitor and Captain Franklin Buchanan on the Virginia pressed on, each seeking an opening that might tip the scales in their favor. But the two ironclads seemed evenly matched, each capable of withstanding the other's assault. The usual tactics of naval warfare had no place here, this was uncharted territory. On the Virginia, Buchanan tried to ram the Monitor, hoping to replicate the success they had against the Cumberland. But the Monitor was agile, her compact design and revolving turret allowing her to maneuver out of the Virginia's path. Meanwhile, Wardens targeted the Virginia's weakest points. The Monitor's shots focused on the Virginia's rudder and propeller, trying to disable the Confederate ironclad. But the Virginia's heavy armor held strong, the shells leaving nothing but minor damage. As night fell, the battle paused. The two ironclads, their hulls scarred from the day's engagement, retreated to lick their wounds. The soldiers and sailors who had watched the spectacle were left in suspense, the result of the clash between these metal behemoths still uncertain. The stalemate at sea was a clear testament to the power and resilience of the ironclads. Traditional naval warfare had been upended, and the world had witnessed the future. The age of wooden warships was over, the era of ironclads had begun. The waters of Hampton Roads, witness to this historic stalemate, would forever remember the day when the metal beasts met. The morning sun of March 10th cast a new light on the waters of Hampton Roads, illuminating the signs of the previous day's ironclad duel. The Monitor and the Virginia, their metallic forms battered and scarred, appeared as weary titans who had fought a long and draining battle. On the Virginia, Captain Franklin Buchanan gave the order to prepare for another round. But as the Confederate ironclads slowly approached the Union blockading fleet, there was no sign of the Monitor. Instead, the other Union ships, their wooden hulls a stark contrast to the Virginia's iron shell, stood ready for battle. The Virginia, outnumbered and with ammunition running low, had no choice but to withdraw. On the Monitor, Captain John Wardens, injured in the previous day's battle, had handed command to Lieutenant Dana Green. Green, aware of the Virginia's withdrawal, chose not to pursue. The Monitor's mission had been to protect the Union fleet, not to chase after the enemy. With the immediate threat neutralized, 
Green considered their mission successful. The Confederate crew aboard the Virginia watched as their Union adversaries receded in the distance, a sense of frustration hanging in the air. They had faced the Union's best and held their own, yet they had failed to break the Union blockade. But their frustration was tempered with pride. They had changed the course of naval warfare, showing the world the might of the ironclads. Similarly, on the monitor, there was a feeling of relief but also disappointment. They had stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the feared Virginia, preventing further destruction of the Union fleet, but had not succeeded in sinking the Confederate Leviathan. Thus, the titans of Hampton Roads withdrew, their duel ending in a stalemate. Yet, they had done more than simply battle one another, they had ushered in a new era of naval warfare, marking the end of wooden warships and the rise of the ironclads. Their monumental clash was a glimpse into the future, a testament to human ingenuity and resilience in the face of change. Chapter 5 Aftermath and Impact As the dust settled in the aftermath of the Battle of Hampton Roads, the immediate impact of the confrontation between the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia began to reverberate through the North and South. The first major clash of ironclads had not only shifted the nature of naval warfare, but also transformed the immediate strategic considerations of the Civil War. For the Confederacy, the battle represented a double-edged sword. On one hand, the Virginia, despite being unable to break the Union blockade, had demonstrated the potency of ironclads. The ship's ability to wreak havoc on the Union wooden warships was a significant morale boost. The Confederate Navy, frequently overshadowed by its Union counterpart, had delivered a blow that resonated across the Confederacy. However, the battle also revealed the limitations of their formidable vessel. While the Virginia had proven its mettle against traditional warships, it struggled to gain the upper hand against the Monitor, another ironclad. This raised concerns about the Confederacy's ability to dominate at sea, especially if the Union produced more vessels like the Monitor. In the North, reactions were similarly mixed. The Monitor's ability to fend off the Virginia was a relief for the Union, which had witnessed the Virginia's destructive capabilities. The Monitor was celebrated as a savior of the Union fleet, and its success bolstered the morale of the Union Navy. Yet, the battle also underscored the vulnerability of the Union's conventional wooden fleet. The destructive power of the ironclad Virginia had been a chilling demonstration of the Union's naval inadequacies. Consequently, there was an increased sense of urgency to expedite the production and deployment of more ironclad vessels. From a broader perspective, the Battle of Hampton Roads sent shockwaves far beyond the American shores. News of the ironclad duel quickly spread across the Atlantic, causing consternation among the world's major naval powers. The implications of the battle were clear, the age of wooden naval supremacy was ending, and a new ironclad era was dawning. This realization sparked a global naval arms race as nations scrambled to construct their own ironclads, transforming naval warfare forever. In the wake of the Battle of Hampton Roads, the course of the Civil War took a discernible turn. The duel between the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia marked a turning point, compelling both sides to reevaluate their strategies. In the South, 
the Confederate leadership grappled with their newfound understanding of ironclad potential. The Virginia had demonstrated the possibility of breaking the Union's stranglehold on southern waters. Yet, the Confederacy was resource-starved, its shipyards lacking the industrial capacity to churn out ironclads in significant numbers. They were left with the daunting task of leveraging their limited assets to maximize their strategic impact. President Jefferson Davis and his advisors found themselves wrestling with a challenging conundrum. Should they commit their scarce resources to more ambitious projects like the Virginia, hoping to land decisive blows against the Union Navy? Or should they spread their investments across a larger number of smaller, cheaper vessels, aiming for a war of attrition? In the North, President Abraham Lincoln and his cabinet faced dilemmas of their own. The prowess of the Monitor had underscored the advantage of ironclads, but the devastation wrought by the Virginia had exposed the vulnerability of their wooden fleet. There was a clear need to accelerate the Union's ironclad program. Secretary of the Navy Gideon Wells now championed the construction of more vessels like the Monitor. His argument was that a fleet of smaller, agile ironclads could match the power of larger Confederate vessels like the Virginia, while offering the flexibility to serve multiple strategic roles. However, this initiative required a substantial diversion of resources, a decision not taken lightly during a time of war. As both the Union and Confederacy navigated their strategic challenges, the tide of war shifted. No longer were naval engagements viewed as mere auxiliary operations supporting land campaigns. With the advent of ironclads, naval warfare had become a central front, capable of altering the trajectory of the Civil War in profound ways. The ripples of the Battle of Hampton Roads continued to spread, and with each passing day, the legacy of the Monitor and the Virginia grew. From the smoky aftermath of their duel, a new form of warfare had emerged altering the course of the Civil War and leaving an indelible mark on history. In the shadow of the Battle of Hampton Roads, another consequential shift was unfolding, this one away from the clanging hulls of the ironclads and in the hearts and minds of the people. The battle for Hampton Roads was not merely a contest of naval might, but also a beacon for enslaved people seeking freedom, illuminating a path to emancipation. Following Virginia's secession, Fort Monroe, under the command of Union General Benjamin Butler, had become a haven for escaped slaves. Butler, applying his lawyer's wit to the situation, had declared these escapees contraband of war a term that echoed the prevalent notion of property associated with slavery but reimagined as a tool for emancipation. Despite the disapproval of some in Lincoln's administration, the contraband decision held, paving the way for an exodus of enslaved people to Union lines. The Battle of Hampton Roads only heightened this movement. The clash of the ironclads and the ensuing spectacle served as a dramatic reminder of the ongoing conflict, a signal to those enslaved that the fight for their freedom was very much alive. As news of the battle spread, it acted as a catalyst, fueling the desires of those yearning for freedom, their hopes pinned on the northern cause. In the aftermath of the battle, the population of contrabands around Fort Monroe swelled. This mass movement of people was not without its challenges, from housing and feeding the new arrivals to dealing with the racial biases of the era. Yet, amidst these difficulties, 
a community began to take shape, a budding testament to the resilience and determination of those who had been enslaved. The presence of this growing community had a profound effect on the course of the war. Not only did it add a humanitarian dimension to the conflict, but it also increasingly shifted public opinion in the North towards emancipation. The plight and resilience of the escaped slaves were no longer abstract concepts discussed in the halls of power but a tangible reality, an integral part of the war's narrative. The Battle of Hampton Roads, therefore, played an unintended role in the rising tide of emancipation. Its reverberations extended beyond naval strategies and innovations in warfare, touching the lives of those who had long been denied their freedom. The thunderous clash of the Monitor and the Virginia echoed across the land, stirring waves of change that would eventually break the chains of slavery. Chapter 6 The Legacy of Hampton Roads The Battle of Hampton Roads marked a revolutionary shift in naval warfare. As the world absorbed the tale of the Monitor and the Virginia, their duel in the murky waters of Hampton Roads became a symbol of a new age in naval combat, one dominated by iron and steam rather than wood and sail. The formidable strength and resilience exhibited by these ironclads rendered wooden warships obsolete overnight. Nations around the world suddenly faced the stark reality that their grand fleets of wooden vessels, the fruits of centuries of naval tradition and expertise, were now vulnerable to a new breed of warship. The world's naval powers scrambled to react. Britain, the dominant naval power of the time, launched an intensive program to develop its own ironclads, as did France, another major player on the global naval stage. The shock waves from the Battle of Hampton Roads crossed oceans and continents, leading to an international naval arms race that echoed throughout the latter half of the 19th century. The transition to ironclads also prompted significant changes in ship design and tactics. Traditional naval tactics, rooted in the dynamics of wind-powered, broadside-firing ships, were suddenly outdated. New strategies had to be developed, focusing on the use of rotating turrets, ramming techniques, and strategies for steam-powered vessels. The role of naval engineers like John Erickson, the designer of the Monitor, grew in importance. These were the men who would now shape the destiny of navies. They worked feverishly, experimenting with different hull designs, armor thicknesses, and weapon types. Their workshops buzzed with the energy of invention, each new design, a potential game-changer on the high seas. Yet, amidst all the changes, one constant remained the courage and determination of the sailors who manned these vessels. The Battle of Hampton Roads had demonstrated that even in the age of iron and steam, the human element was critical. The officers and crews of the Monitor and the Virginia, from their commanding officers to the lowest deckhands, were the true heroes of this new era, their actions setting the tone for the future of naval warfare. Thus, the Battle of Hampton Roads not only marked a revolutionary shift in naval technology but also a profound transformation in naval doctrine, strategy, and spirit, laying the foundation for modern naval warfare. The echoes of the Monitor's guns and the Virginia's ram are still felt today, a testament to the lasting impact of their historic clash. The echoes of the Battle of Hampton Roads reverberated long after the last cannon shot faded into the stillness of the Atlantic night. 
the encounter between the Monitor and the Virginia left an indelible impression on the American psyche, evolving into a source of enduring fascination and a subject of study and debate among historians, military strategists, and enthusiasts alike. In the decades following the Civil War, tales of the battle were passed down through generations. The duel between the two ironclads, so dramatically different from the wooden warships of the past, captured the imagination of a nation. Children played with miniature models of the Monitor and the Virginia, their games echoing the clashes of the Iron Titans. Authors pen narratives immortalizing the event, their words painting vivid images of the unprecedented naval confrontation. On a deeper level, the battle presented scholars with an insightful case study into the effects of technological innovation on warfare. The transition from wooden to ironclad warships was scrutinized, dissected, and debated in lecture halls and military academies. The role of personalities involved, such as the vision of John Erickson and the audacity of Captain Buchanan, was examined in relation to the broader narrative. The advent of cinema in the early 20th century brought a new medium to portray the historic battle. Several films and documentaries were produced, reenacting the clash of the Monitor and the Virginia. These visual narratives brought the Battle of Hampton Roads to life, ensuring its story reached an even wider audience. Each frame served as a testament to the battle's enduring appeal and historical significance. Finally, the battle found a place in the realm of commemoration and memorialization. In Hampton Roads, the Mariner's Museum and Park was established, housing the USS Monitor Center, where the recovered turret and other artifacts from the Monitor are displayed. Thousands visit each year, standing in silent awe of the remnants of the first Union ironclad. From the playground to the cinema, from the lecture hall to the museum, the echoes of the Battle of Hampton Roads continue to resonate. The duel of the Monitor in the Virginia remains etched in the collective memory, a pivotal moment in history that continues to shape our understanding of war, technology, and the indomitable human spirit. Today, the ironclads that once clashed in the murky waters of Hampton Roads exist mainly as memories and relics, their physical forms corroded by time and the sea. Yet, their legacy continues to resonate, their impact still very much present in the modern world. The USS Monitor, after a valiant service in the Civil War, found its final resting place at the bottom of the Atlantic during a storm on New Year's Eve 1862. More than a century later, in 1973, the wreck was discovered. A major salvage operation was launched, resulting in the recovery of numerous artifacts, including the iconic revolving turret. These remnants are now housed at the Mariner's Museum in Newport News, Virginia, where they serve as tangible links to the past, telling the story of the ironclad that once changed the course of naval warfare. The CSS Virginia, after its showdown with the Monitor, was scuttled by her crew in May 1862 to prevent her capture by Union forces advancing on Norfolk. Though no significant remains of the ship have been discovered, her memory has been kept alive through meticulous historical research and representation in various forms of media, including literature, film, and art. In terms of their enduring impact, the Monitor and the Virginia fundamentally reshaped naval warfare. The ironclad warships of today, 
whether they be the massive aircraft carriers of the United States or the nuclear-powered submarines of Russia, can trace their lineage back to these pioneering vessels. The principle of heavily armored, steam-powered naval vessels that they established is reflected in the design and function of modern warships. But the legacy of the Monitor in the Virginia extends beyond the realm of naval technology. They symbolize a period of profound transformation in American history, a time of bitter conflict and profound change. The Battle of Hampton Roads stands as a seminal event in this transformation, a moment that encapsulated the technological innovation, strategic shifts, and human drama of the Civil War. In today's world, the ironclads serve as a reminder of our capacity for innovation, especially in times of crisis. They remind us of the human element that underpins all technological advancement, the inventiveness of a John Erickson, the determination of a Captain Wardens, the audacity of a Captain Buchanan. And they provide a poignant link to a critical chapter in our history, their story a testament to the trials and tribulations that have shaped the nation we know today.